Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah with a few announcements. Thanks to everyone who came to Campus Christmas. What a wonderful show for an incredible cause. It's not too late to donate to the Say It Loud Club if you couldn't come. One more show before Christmas, King's Place, two episodes on Wednesday the 14th of December. Back with a bang in the new year with four shows at Soho Theatre. On Wednesday the 4th of January, we're having a very special town hall where we try and solve a problem together and you can come up and take the mic. On Thursday the 5th of January, we're having a special, uh, Shapi Kosandi and I are co-hosting a special about the terrible situation in Iran. And on Friday the 6th of January and Saturday the 7th of January, guests to be announced. Thursday the 26th of January, we are back at King's Place. Sunday 29th of January, we're at the Rose Theatre in Kingston. For more details and to book, go to guiltyfeminist.com. Join our Patreon to support the show and get ad-free episodes and more besides. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. And now, back to the show. Hello, Auckland! Are you ready for a little bit more Guilty Feminists? Then please welcome back to the stage Deborah Francis White and Cal Wilson! Hello, Cal Wilson. Oh, hello, Cal. Hello, hello, Deborah Francis White. (laughs) Um, Can I just ask you, Cal? Yes. um, Have you had any brushes with the law? Because that's relevant to our guest tonight. So I just want to have a little chat about feminism and the law. So we're just going to start with Cal Wilson and the law first. All right. Have you had any brushes? More of a comb, I would say. A comb with the law. Okay. Uh, But it was a good one. Tell me more, tell me more. So what happened was, this uh, this happened when my son was two. Yes. 
and he was in the car seat in the back and I was driving. I didn't need to clarify that because that's what we'd assumed, that he wasn't in the front sitting on some phone books while I was like, do what you like, darling. Uh, So we are driving through the roundabout at the local shopping centre Yes. and I have decided that I want to turn left from the right-hand lane, which you can't do, but I was going to give it a crack. (laughs) And... As I went to turn illegally, yeah. uh, this red station wagon cut me off. And this is not what I expected myself, but I tooted at him and screamed, fuck you, and gave him the fingers. Carl Wilson. <laughs> and he put his sirens on. Oh! And oh. I, I had just done that to an undercover cop. No! Oh! <gasps> Carl. So what happened was I pulled over and he opened the passenger door and I burst into tears and went, I'm so sorry, I'm just a mum. Oh, my God. Oh and I my was God. crying so much like I was, because I was mortified. I was like, oh, look, I'm such a goody two-shoes. And I absolutely just flipped off a policeman and told him to get fucked. And I just, I, I cried so violently that he backed out of the door going, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. Oh, wow. And then he went back to check the license and everything in his car. And Digby was like, well, this is a fascinating Tuesday. Like this wow. little boy. And he back, was two. He was two. And I was like, oh, I did, it, I did, I did something wrong. And, I've, I've, and he was intrigued as to why I was suddenly crying. And, and I was like, oh, you know, I did the, I did the wrong thing. And the, the cop came back and gave me a warning. And he should not have given me a warning. Like, I, I still feel like I should send him some money. Like, I definitely... Should have received if a fine for that. you send money to a police officer for letting you off a crime, that is what we call corruption. You must not do that. I'm learning all the time, Deborah. <laughs> so, so he lets me off with a warning, which he absolutely, I absolutely deserved to get points off my licence yes. for that. But he let me off, and I thought I had got away with it. Now, we didn't need to mention it to Dad. To... to Digby didn't need to mention that to Dad. Like, it wasn't a secret. It was, you know, secrets are only for birthdays. So I was like, it'll, it'll, let's call it a happy surprise. So um, I thought I got away with it. But because it was a roundabout we drove through every day, every day for about six months as we drove through the roundabout, just from the back seat you'd hear, Mummy was bad. <laughs> Did he ever do that with your husband in the car? I ended up telling him, and he was like, oh, my God, you've turned into a bogan. I'm so proud of you. Um, what about you, Deborah? What are your brushes with the law? Okay, once I was in America, and I was driving a manual car, which legally I was allowed to do, but ethically more dubious... Because I got my license in Queensland, and in Queensland you can get a license that's either automatic or manual, or if you're listening in America, a stick shift. And I could not drive a stick shift, I could only drive an automatic, so my license said automatic, but when I moved to New South Wales, they only have one sort of license there, or certainly did at that time, so it just got upgraded automatically to a manual license. So when I moved to America... I was given the loan of this car for a while and I thought, well, I'm just going to have to learn how to drive a stick shift while on the road (laughs) with my full licence saying I could 
And I was just pootling around in Connecticut. Like, but there was... It was you, you're saying pootle, but I'm visualising bunny hops. Like I'm, yeah, and one night I was, you know, I was sticking and I was running, you know, and you I were felt... You were this, sticking. The, you know, I was, the, the, I was stalling, <laughs> it was sticking. You know. Anyway... No, the description of sticking, like you're just stirring something in a pot, like that's how yeah, the gearbox works. And le- it was really late at night and suddenly I felt this car on my tail and I was really nervous. I thought, oh my God, I'm going to stall and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I was thinking, there's, there's a guy behind me and he's going to jump out. And I was really scared. And then put his siren on. And I thought, oh, my God. And he jumped out of the car and came around and said, um, are you aware you're on the wrong side of the road? <gasps> and I was like, oh, am I? Where I come from, this is the right side of the road. <laughs> Mary Poppins. And he said... A spoonful of sugar or something that you know police officers say to white women um i will say that that is such white privilege that is such white privilege one night my friend and i and we, this is to be fair we weren't doing anything wrong but we we're in melbourne i thought you were gonna say we weren't doing anything wrong but we were in balaclavas and <laughs> we she drove me to my friend's house my friend was away and had said i could stay there and had left me a key and we really old friends. We hadn't caught up in years. And she drove me back. And you know how sometimes you sit in the driveway and you just chat because you can't, you know. So we sat in the driveway for probably what was an hour or something of this friend's house. And this friend is both famous and away. And the neighbors must have seen us sitting there thinking we were breaking in or something. And so the neighbors who hadn't known that I was going to stay there obviously called the police and the police a police officer came up wound down the window and said um do you live here and we said no and he said uh so why are you here and I said well I'm staying here at my friend's house and he said to my friend do you have any ID to say that you own this car and uh she went oh um he said, who's, what's your name? And she said, and he said, who's it registered to? And she said, uh, he said, it's not registered to your name. She said, no, it's my husband. My husband has a clown company. <laughs> Which, I mean, it does, it's true, but it wait, does wait. sound dodgy. Did you say cloud or clown? Clown company. A cl- like a <laughs> clown yeah, company. Yeah. Her husband owned a clowning company. And so when she'd said her name... Please tell, she, me, please tell me that they told you to step out of the car and there were like 40 of you that just came out. <laughs> the wheels fell off at that point and we had to put them all back on but stay happy about it. So she had first had said her name and had sort of forgotten that the car, I think, was in the clowning company name. So he said, that's well, not can, correct. What did the car look like? Like, was it like an adorably <laughs> tiny car? It was just a regular car, but when you blew the horn, it was a squirty flower. Um, and it, it had really big tyres, red tyres. Uh, no, it didn't. Anyway, she, I think, had forgotten at first, so said her name and said her address. And he said, that's not correct. And she went, oh, no, actually, this car is registered to another address because that's the address. Oh, it's, it's you know. registered to Mr. Honkdoodle. Yeah, basically. And he was like, hmm have you got any proof that this is your car or have you got any proof that you're allowed to be in this house? We said no on both those counts and he said, well, I'm satisfied. (laughs) And just went. And I just looked at her and just went, 
white privilege is a thing. I'm sorry, but can you imagine if we were two indigenous women sitting in somebody else's driveway and couldn't prove a fucking thing? Do you think they would have left us there? We would have gone to the station. And you just inherently know that that's true, whoever you are. And so when people say white privilege isn't a thing, and, uh, you know, and I will say, because I think I need to be always strictly fair about this, I don't know that two white men would have got off. I think that white women are the least criminalised human beings in the world. I think if we just go, I'm sorry, Mr Policeman. No, we go, just a moment. I know, I know. I know, white lady tears, it's not not true. And, I, you know, I always say that the best mule in the world is a white woman who doesn't know she's carrying. Is that why I get stopped every single time? No, because if you, if you did have something on you, you could honestly say, if you had drugs in your pocket, you'd go, oh, I bought this jacket at Oxfam. I don't know, I, never saw, I, I don't know, I didn't ever know that was in there. I don't even know what it is. Is it baking powder? You could get away with that, Cal. You could go, I'm this just is, a mum. This is my cooking jacket, and that's, <laughs> that's my baking soda pocket. That's my baking powder pocket. Yeah. So two things about that. If you are a white woman, acknowledge that you're, in certain situations, you will be criminalised less than even white men and understand the power of your, you know, and just know that and never, ever, ever misuse it. And in other situations come the glorious revolution slash as we need to take on fascism, do use it. If these things are, you know, you can see what's happening in America now with Roe versus Wade. You can, you can feel there's an energy around the world. You know, there's, there's pulling up borders. I know New Zealand is a much better country than many. But, you know, there's a thermometer, there's a global thermometer. And sometimes New Zealanders, you know, you may be called upon to help in certain situations. In which case... If you're on the side of the angels, you use that white woman privilege and you make that face and you do what you need to do. So if you're doing it for the right reasons, I would say, I would say don't do it for yourself to get out of parking tickets. Don't do it. Don't do that. It's not cool. But the roundabout thing is still cool, though. I can still... You, you have expressed remorse to me every time I've <laughs> met you in the years that I've known you for that incident in a way that... It's just that one story over and over again backstage. She's the only one I tell. The guilt, the self-flagellation you've had. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, we just need to know, you know, like, like any privilege, if you can use it for good. I'm not suggesting, I'm not here telling you to break the law, but I am saying if you see an opportunity to stand... Did you see any of the... There were, during Black Lives Matter... I saw imagery of, like, white women, for example, getting between uh, black people and police officers and sort of using their bodies as, you're not going to hurt me, you're not going to touch me, you know, sort of way of innocence. And that doesn't always work, you know. There, were, there was the Met Police in, in London did throw white women to the ground and, you know, that, uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, that always works or white women are never criminalised, working-class white women are, certain white women are. But you, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. I can't caveat it in every single direction. We'll be here all night. But I am saying privilege is always something to be used to work on behalf of others who are more marginalised. Um, but not to get you driving out of driving on the wrong side of the road in America, which I accidentally did. Um, but he did feel sorry for me. I was very young and I looked pathetic. Um, <laughs> 
I'd like to say I never drove on the wrong side of the road after that, but we all know that's not true. Um, <laughs> is it time to get our guest on? I think so. Mm. Our guest today, I'm very excited about her, is a New Zealand and Harvard-educated lawyer and is now one of New Zealand's top public and constitutional law experts specialising in central and local government. She has been senior partner of her firm, Chen Palmer, for, for, for more than... What's that noise? I believe it was murmurs of recognition, Deborah. <laughs> For more than 20 years, holding countless governance and advisor roles, she works to empower women, champion diversity, and inspire leaders across New Zealand. She's now a professor at the University of Auckland. Just give me a cheer if you're at the University of Auckland, or have been. In between chairing New Zealand Global Women and New Zealand Asian Leaders, among many other leadership roles, She's also been a finalist twice at the New Zealand of the Year Awards. Please welcome to the stage, Mai Chen! Come take a seat. Their fans. Mai Chen, they love you already. Uh, no, they don't. They love you, Deborah. No. And can I no. just say, you've made me look so good. Because, like, my staff were looking at my calendar and say, said to me, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I just wanted to impress my son. Oh. Uh, he, he, you know, he said, Mum, you're going to get a gig? Oh. <laughs> well, is your son in tonight? He is, Jack Darling, if you're out there. Jack Darling. Oh, it sounds like there are lots of him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. Now, listen, my Chen, I'm so excited to talk to you because you have recently changed the law, the process of how the law is delivered, really. I suppose what well, all, all the considerations that are made when the law is executed. Is that well, correct? Well, it's, it's really kind of you, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just a handmaiden. Look, what happened was uh, about... About 10 years ago, I left Wellington. Now, that's a hard thing for a constitutional lawyer to do, but I came to Auckland. And the reason is because the demography of New Zealand is changing. If I said to the audience out there, put your hand up if you weren't born in this country. Put your hand up if there's somebody, if your mum and dad weren't born in this country. Uh, do, do, can you do a cheering noise because it's a podcast? And also, yeah, okay. also right. dark. Okay, we need noises. Okay, so, and, so noise if you and or your parents were not born in this country. Or, or... Oh, or if someone in your family and extended family were not born in New Zealand. Okay, I have my proof. So yes. all I'm saying to you is that we have been going on a stereotype. Now... Deborah, that's what this show's all about, right? So the stereotype used to be that we were all of one gender. We've now figured out that we have more than one gender. There are many genders. And then we've figured out now, all I'm trying to do is make people realise that we're not all the same ethnicity, okay? And in Auckland, in Tamaki Makaro in particular, 50% of the population is already tangata whenua, Pacifica, this is the biggest Pacifica city in the world, and one in three people in this town is Asian. Woo! <laughs> okay. So there are many indigenous people in Auckland, there are many Asian people in Auckland, and how does that affect how the law is executed? Um, because it provides a cultural and social context. Look, we have a lot of people turning up in court. They don't speak English. 
In fact, in the last census in 2018, it found we now have more people not speaking English than we had in the, 20, in the census prior to that. Now, this is not bad English. This is not a little bit of English. This is no English. So they go to court. They are having a fight with somebody else who also doesn't speak English. And they're trying to represent themselves. And the judge is none the wiser. Mm. So actually... Taking into account people's culture and language is huge because it affects the way they behave. Because courts are all about what did you do and why did you do it? And how can you understand what people did or why they did it if you don't understand their cultural background? And do they not automatically have the right to an interpreter? No. What? Not in civil litigation. So they do in criminal. But even in criminal cases... It's not like there are no qualifications required to be an interpreter. And the last time they had a pay increase for interpreters was 1993. So as my son would say, Mum, was that like last century? Yes. So the the thing is, you could be a cab driver and be an interpreter. They don't. And also, as you know... where you come from has a real impact on your accuracy of interpretation. Mm. So if you come from rural China and you are trying to interpret Mandarin from someone who who was born in Singapore, because, you know, not all Chinese are the same. It's like, you know, there's no such thing as Maori. They come from different iwi. They come from different hapu and groupings and whānau. It's the same. So if you don't get somebody who understands your slang, your lingo, they'll interpret it wrong. Mm. I was in a case where I was representing a person. It was the first offended anti-money laundering prosecution. And uh, I, I got an interpreter who, who I thought knew what they were doing. Um, this was a civil case, so my client had to pay for it. So the question was put, did you do it really? And my client said, no, the interpreter didn't interpret it. It just happens to be that I speak Mandarin. So I said, I'm really sorry, Your Honour, I have to interrupt this. But, my cl- but, but the question was put to my client. My client answered it, and it wasn't interpreted. So the judge was good enough to say, well, thank you, Ms Chen, and, and then said to the interpreter, could you put the question again? You see... All of these things matter, and mm. in criminal law it matters too, because if you're trying to figure out whether someone has, is really sorry and therefore should get a commuted sentence, you know, I mean, if you come from a Chinese culture, there's a whole concept of big face. So, so what's, what's big face? What's, what's big face? Okay, big face means that um, you don't want to bring... Yeah, you just were like the Topsy twins there. It was lovely. (laughs) It's lovely, though. (laughs) It's kind of like, I think you've been married too long. Um, uh, It's It's like an uh, intro game, like speaking my voice. You're starting to finish each other's sentences. Yeah, it's kind of Um, concerning. so, So what that means is that you get a commuted sentence if you are really sorry. You showed contrition. But, of course... If you come from a country where there is a concept of honour, you think that um, you've done something wrong, but that if you show that you have or that you acknowledge you have, then you bring disrepute on your family. That may be why you show no remorse. Mm. Well, you show no remorse, then, buddy, you're going down, and you're going down to prison for a long time. So, therefore, it is really important for there to be a cultural report so that uh, judges understand so things code differently in different cultures. They do. So what looks like remorse to uh, a white Westerner, and we would just read it that way, and mm. we'd go, oh, that person's sorry, 
will not read that way in a different country. Perfect. That, could, that could read as something completely yeah. different. Perfect. So what? Um, so I intervened in a case. It's called Zing and Ding. It's really exciting, as all law is. It's about whether or not uh, what the two parties were engaged in was a partnership. Um, you asked me what Jack wants to do for a living. I tried to interest him in law. All I got was, well, well Mum, why would I want to work as hard as you? Um, he, he would like to be a, a, an actor. Um, so oh, Jack. E- anyway, or, uh, yeah. Run fast yeah. from show business. Run yeah, far okay. away. Um, so, so anyway, I went to court and I said to them, look, there's lots of these cases and there's going to be more of them. Yeah. And in fact, do you know there are now 9% of the legal profession are now Asian lawyers? So, you know, if you put the Asian lawyers together with the Pacific lawyers and the Maori lawyers, you know, we're 30%. Anyway, look, the the court was great. It it brought down a whole pile of guidance about ensuring that when it's relevant, a social and cultural context is put around the evidence so that there's a proper interpretation of what people did and what they intended. And that's important because without that, you will have miscarriages of justice, okay? So it really matters. This is amazing what you've done. Um, no, it, uh, look, it just... It's imp- so important and so, so important. And I know this is true for refugees that I know who speak English, but they're entitled to an interpreter, so they think, I might as well have it because, you know, there might be something in legalese that I'd better have an interpreter because although my English is good, you know, it's not, it, it, it's not necessarily legal. And I've had friends say the interpreter has completely not interpreted what I've said yeah, that's right. because my English is really good and my Arabic is, very, is, is native and I'm like, yeah. no, that's not what no, I said. That's, that's right. not quite right. And yeah. or, or it's not what they've said. So yeah. they've said something in English. It's been interpreted back to me. Yeah. And they've said, if I didn't speak excellent English, I wouldn't have known what they were driving at. So I wouldn't have given them what they, the evidence they wanted right. that I should be allowed so, to so stay So just here. think about this. You're already under supreme stress. You're in court. And then you've got somebody else who has to interpret what it is you say. Mm-hmm. So you're not representing yourself. You've got an interpreter. And if the interpreter doesn't get it right then you are prejudiced because everything depends on the evidence. So I have to tell you that if you um, don't speak English and you are in our courts, it's just so much more difficult. Mm -hmm. Also, if you end up having to get expert evidence because you come from a different culture and you speak a different language, it's just much more expensive. So look, this is all about equal access to the law and ensuring that justice is done. And the fact that the courts now recognise that that's important is huge. Yeah, yeah. really huge. Really huge, yeah. It's, it's, that's incredible, that's what you've done. No, no I've And I done hope it. countries around the world that have these similar problems see New Zealand and see what you've done and go, right, we've got to enact that. I mean... Did it take you a long time to... Like, have you been talking about this for years and years? Or is I, this... I just... Um, sometimes I feel like Moses in the wilderness. I came up to Auckland 10 years ago, and no one understood why. So in the end, the explanation I gave was, well, I came up to Auckland so I could come out as a Chinese person. Um, because actually, the rest of New Zealand is, is not as diverse. But actually, up here, we're a dime a dozen. Uh, and in fact, it was so bad when we first got up here um, that my husband freaked out because he, 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 is, he is British, he's a British migrant, and of course, the way that he has managed to find me in a crowd is always to look for a dark head, right? <laughs> but, but when we first got to Auckland, he panicked and he said, oh my God, he said, I lost you. And I turned around and they all had dark heads and I didn't know which one was you. So it was quite funny. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you find, as an Asian woman in law, that sometimes uh, certain stereotypes are projected onto you? I have found it difficult. Um, there's no doubt that if you're tall uh, and you have a very deep voice, that that you and and you be you know you you are male. Sometimes that there is a feeling that you do get a an easier time in court. You know, sometimes I have appeared in court, and I've had a colleague on the other side, and uh, it's male, and and he's older, and he's got lovely grey hair, and he's been to similar schools to perhaps some of the, the judges, and they're having a wonderful time. Oh, yes, you know, Your Honour. There's a lovely banter going on, and then I try and get up, and it's kind of like, no, Ms Chen, we don't want to hear from you. It, it is, it, sometimes it is a bit difficult, yes. I've found in the past, and I'm white, so obviously I don't have that extra layer of assumption, but sometimes when you do a corporate gig, or when I do a corporate gig, or I've done a, a stand-up gig, there's lots of stuff I have to get through before I can actually do my job. Mm. So I've got to reassure the audience that, yes, I, I'm also aware that I'm a woman. And uh, I also, yes, I also know that I'm on stage and it is stand-up comedy. And I have to assure them that it's going to be all right and we'll probably all survive. And, and then once, once I've calmed everybody down, then I can get on with, mm. like, do you f- find that, that you kind of got, got to... The, the difficulty that I've got is just fighting the stereotype. And the further you are away from stereotype the more people rebel against it. Mm. So the thing is that when I come on stage, uh, they think, okay, instantly they think uh, self-effacing, not leadership material, probably very introverted, very shy, doesn't like speaking out, uh, very good at maths, really, really not true, guys. (laughs) Really, really not true. Bad driver, really, really true. <laughs> really, really true. God, I've got the most banged up Lexus in the world. Um, all the tyres are scraped. And Is that a pressure if people say you're a bad driver and then you think, well, I coincidentally am a bad driver, but like, now I have to prove that I'm not so well, as not to d- d- endorse a stereotype? Okay, the, the worst thing is when people toot at me and shout at me. It's, mm. it's really difficult being the subject of stereotyping. Mm. You know, some people say to me, oh, May, you should stop talking about discrimination. You should just get over it. You know, everybody knows who you are now and you've made it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I wake up and I still look like this every morning. I look in the mirror and I think, oh, there she is again. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I mean, it, all I want to do... Um, I'd love to get to the stage where we never talk about gender and we never talk about race. I just love it because we all, you know, we all have an identity. And, and this thing where people now have to say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm really sorry, I'm just, a, I'm, just, I'm just a white male. You know, I'm sorry. It just would be great if all of us could just be proud of who we are. And that... 
you know, and that we don't have to spend our lives wishing we were somebody else. That's all. I completely hear you, and uh, uh, I feel very similarly to you, Cal, that sometimes I come out onto the stage in a comedy club and I see people in the front row say, I don't find women funny, I don't like female comedians, I'm going to the bar, like, and you have to spend that first five minutes of the set proving that you're as funny as any of the guys, so that then they, and it is constantly exhausting, but there's no stakes on our thing, like, if we have a bad gig, no one goes to jail. Do you know what I mean? Like, in a way... There's, I, I, I imagine the pressure of that. Can or, I tell you the worst thing? Yeah. The worst thing is when people think that if they got a tall white male to represent them, they would get a better outcome in oh, court because they, they might get more respect from, mm. from the judiciary. Now, look, the judiciary is changing. We have an amazing Chief Justice, the Right Honourable Dame Helen Wing-Kelman. She's, she's doing amazing things. She's transforming the judiciary. She thinks diversity in the judiciary is important. So, look, it's changing. But it makes me really sad mm -hmm. that a person would not treat you on the basis of merit. You know, I went to an Ed Sheeran concert in Amsterdam last Friday night. Like you do, right? 70,000 people. I thought this was going to go. We just... <laughs> okay. I, okay, I'm not big noting. I'm not big noting. Okay, all I'm trying to say to you is I love the fact that Ed Sheeran... You know, is not is not physically hugely attractive. He's he's he. I mean, he's oh just an God, ordinary guy. Okay, this is like he's not super super gorgeous, and yet he's there because he is the best songwriter in the world. I am there in the face of greatness, and you know, all I want is to be treated on the basis of merit. I don't want mm. people to say. Oh my God! You know, you know what people say to me sometimes? They say you look so much shorter than on television, and I think, what? <laughs> what? Um, y you know, it's just like, does it matter? I mean, isn't it my big brain that you're paying for? Uh, I just, yeah. Anyway. So the the sentence that I'm taking away from that May is you just want to be treated like Ed Sheeran. Yes! <laughs> I want to be Ed Sheeran, man. And you know the best thing about his concert? He was totally in the flow. Like I've seen you tonight. I mean, you are so good at what you do. And can I say, I've been so inspired. And I, I'll tell you what the inspiration is. You said some great things. You've been hilariously funny. But I'll tell you what I've mainly got out of tonight. It's your total confidence. You are totally in command. Hey, that's this so is your you. gig. Well, that's extremely kind of you, and I am much bolstered by this audience. And what's interesting about it is, I think, exactly what we were saying before about when you go to a comedy club audience and they don't know who you are, and they like go, oh, we don't like women, you can feel like you have to fight for your confidence. Mm. And the wonderful thing about the Guilty Feminist audiences is before we've even hit the stage, you know, the cheering begins, and it's really... it's. It's, it's sort of feminism in action because it's really hard for any human being not to be confident when an audience treats them like a rock star. And so if we say, if I say, oh my God, there's a shepherd in the audience, we want to see her, and then she comes out and everyone screams for her, she jumps up on the stage like it's her stage. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's, yeah, and it's right. you have to understand the power of... of 
yourself on each other, how much we set the tone for each other. Yeah, but you created this safe space. Well, it's you a created circular. this safe space it's for these people to come. And that's why they talk to you. I mean, I've never seen that level of audience participation. Usually when you, you ask for audience participation, no one says anything. Or is that because I'm a professor and the students don't like being cold called? Um, all I'm saying is these people love you and they feel thank safe you, with you. Thank, thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you, Auckland, for being so incredible. And I'm, I know I'm always better when I'm with Cal as well. Cal makes me funnier. And uh, she does. She does make me funnier because I find Cal so funny and Cal finds me funny. This is sometimes a chemistry. And I always love coming to Auckland and I always love coming to New Zealand. And I, Aotearoa. I learned how to say it last night properly. Is that better? Uh, Aotearoa? Aotearoa. 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 Is that anywhere near it? They're giving me an encouraging clap, but it wasn't Just say yes, or she's going to say it again and again and again and again. It's what happened last night. But no, I remember I got really good at it last night. You and did. I've lost and then it you, again. Then you doubt yourself, and then it goes I away don't, again. I don't, know why I've, I don't know why I've brought it back. I should never have tried. <laughs> uh, but listen, no, that is true. I think people don't know how much they can affect the energy of mm. a room. And anybody at any level can be a leader. If you're, you could be an intern, but if you're on that Zoom call or you're in that room and you bring an energy, you know when at a conference call or a meeting, everybody's getting like this and they're sort of like, well, you're across this, Dave. Would you get us across this? Yeah, I could get you across this. And it's going like that. And you can, I've actually heard people fall asleep on conference calls before. And if one of you, could be an intern, could be the, could be the first year, you know, first year graduate, whatever, goes, oh, Dave, that's really interesting. Could you unpack that a bit more? Dave, it's physically impossible to, for Dave to go, yeah, all right. <laughs> he will go, oh, I'm, I'm interesting. And it, you, anyone can lift that energy. And it was like tonight, uh, uh, somebody, Anita, uh, I was asking who's got a story or something, and Anita was pointing at the, a person in front of her who was called... Claire. Claire, Claire, Claire. And I said, I thought they must be friends. And she was like, no, no, we don't know each other. But I, she's just sort of endorsing a sister. And I think there's something so powerful about that. And if we can do that more and build each other up, rather than sit on Twitter waiting for someone to make an error, mm. it's, you know, like, I just think that's the way forward. And I think, May, that's what you're doing. Because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, people are not being looked after in this system because assumptions are being made about them. And well, I'm going to rid this system the, of the assumptions. The most important thing in life is that you need to figure out what you think needs to be done and you just need to go and do it. Uh, 100%. Everyone thought I was mad, but they don't think I'm mad now. <laughs> She's great. Um, because the Supreme Court said it. You know, <laughs> not me, not me. It was them. Ten years, though. I, I have to tell you, I cried. Oh. I did. I cried. When the judgment came out, I cried. Because oh, I understood amazing. what it meant. When they talked about social and cultural framework, I thought, that's the super diversity framework I've been talking about for the last wow. few years. It's amazing. So, so May, what, what is next? What's your, you, what, what are you going to do for the next 10 years okay. and change the world with? Well, actually, it's really important because life is mainly about what you're not going to do. Okay, but, uh, but this work is important. You know, you know how life is. Yeah. You try some things, the door slams. You try some things, the door opens. Okay, well, uh, this is important. So basically, we're working now towards a symposium in the Sorbonne. Is that because 
it's the symposium on culture and the law. Yes, it's really important, but it's also in the Sorbonne. <laughs> so, um, look, there's a lot of work to be done in this area because if we are going to ensure that New Zealand courts are adapted to providing access to justice regardless of culture, language and religion, then we just have to keep working on this because we've only just started. Yeah. yeah. I am. So, I have so much faith in you for the next ten years. Um, May, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Anything you need uh, our help with? Um, anything you need endorsing, validating? Anything you need to write them, write them to write to their MPs about, or just anything else you'd like to tell us about? Uh, the Super Diversity Institute is something I set up with my own money, probably about seven years ago. If you want to go and look at our reports, please do. What it does is it puts a super diversity framework around certain areas of business, life, community, and the law. So, for example, even with health and safety, there's a huge cultural component. If you come from a country with low health and safety, then how, how are you going to comply with the laws in New Zealand? It's pretty important, though, because if you don't, you'll probably die or get injured. So, um, yeah, it's really funny. It's hilarious. Um, LAUGHTER Okay, I think the audience is, um, yeah. Uh, so, d d d it'd be really good if you, could, if you could just look at the stuff and talk about super diversity and talk about culture. Hey, gender's important, but you know, there's a lot of women here who are doing gender plus. It's gender and race, gender and sexuality, gender plus. So, you know, so a lot of people sometimes say, uh, you know, hey, you know, the, the white chicks have got on the board, what's the problem with you guys? Look, it's just a little harder, okay? Um, we don't, we, we're not the candidate from Casting Central. People look at us and we look foreign. I've just joined the Blue Sky Meats board. It's lovely, it's about lamb and, and we, do, we do kill a few of them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Uh, not, not, um, you made that sound like it happened at board meetings. Yeah, well... <laughs> Actually, it was so funny because, you know, when I joined the board, I said, no, no, you need to take me down. I want to be on the killing room floor. And they said, are you sure? And I said, well, we sell the stuff. I need to know what happens mm -hmm. to it. Um, <laughs> I must say, you know, I, I do love my vegetables after that. It yes. was quite an experience. But yes. all, all I'm saying is that, you know, I'm coming up to the annual general meeting. It's in Southland. It's right down south. The South is quite conservative. All I'm saying is I'm not the candidate from Casting Central. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody like me was the candidate from Casting Central mm. sometime in the not-too-distant future? Cal, anything to plug? Anything you'd like these guys to know about? Um, i just like to say, I, I, when you were asking May before whether she had anything that she wanted to say to you, and I was waiting for you to go, and does Jack have any chores that he needs to do? Um, but on my behalf, um, follow me. I've got onto TikTok, and it was supposed to be about comedy, but it's just me talking to my cats on the coffee machine like they're baristas. Um, so support me there. If you're not on TikTok, you're leading a full, rewarding life, and you... <laughs> 
you don't need to go there. Um, but yeah, Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, but it's a hor- Twitter used to be a village that you curated yourself, you know, and you invited all the neighbours in, and then somehow the zombies broke in and ate everybody. So I'm not on Twitter really much anymore, is what I'm saying. Buy my kids' books, George and the Great Bum Stampede, George and the Great Brain Swappery. Um, if you keep buying them, they might ask me to write another one. And I'll have to think up another Um, body part. And if you could do us a favour and rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and give it five stars, that would really help. And uh, also there are 300 episodes. If you don't know this show and you've been brought by someone, has anyone, anyone, is this their first time? Um, You're you're pointing at somebody there like it's a, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Have you enjoyed it? It's been amazing, yeah. Great. Well, there's 300 episodes for you to listen to now. (laughs) I don't... uh, I don't wish to assume your gender. Are you a man? Yes. Um, uh, are you a feminist? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, well, I don't applaud yet. We... There's going to be an exam. How, how would we know you were a feminist if you didn't tell us? Um, maybe my friend's endorsement. My friend's endorsement. You're going to get a woman to say it for you. I see. <laughs> There's some things you can get involved in here. Uh, so, you know, get, get involved. Thank you so much for coming. If you haven't, if you, one thing you could do, you could buy my book. It's called The Guilty Feminist. Um, uh, the podcasts are free. The book isn't. Buy it. Um, uh, you've been a really wonderful audience. Can you just join me in uh, giving a big thank you uh, to everyone at the Bruce Mason Centre? <laughs> Our tour manager, Michael, and everyone at Bone. The incredible Cal Wilson. Mei Chen, come on! You've honestly been one of my favourite guests, not just of the tour, but of this year. She's just one of my favourite guests, one of my favourite people. What a phenomenon. What a phenomenon. Um... Also, uh, could we have a big round of applause? We saw her in Act One. Uh, now, Act Five. Now, keep that going for the incredible Grace Petrie. Auckland, how are you doing? Uh, I fucking love Auckland. I genuinely do love Auckland. I don't just say that to all the cities. Um, I do. Last t- this is my second time here. I came here for the first time in 2020. And uh, I discovered that there is... You have a lesbian museum. And uh, that would have been enough to cement your place in my heart. But uh, last time we did a show here in Auckland, me and Deb went to a gay bar in town and we walked in and the person behind the bar said, your money's no good here. Your drinks are on the house, right? That's never happened to me anywhere else. Not my own hometown. Uh, So basically, I'm I'm planning to move if you'll have me. I love it. So... um, so yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing you a couple of songs. Um, oh, good, crikey! You just you rip up for the cup, aren't you tonight in Auckland? Yes. Um, cool. So yeah, I uh, I'm gonna this, the first song I'm gonna sing you is uh, um, this is a song about uh, basic. This is a song 
uh, about being dumped, right? Um, so it's all right, it's okay. I was fine. Um, uh, no, it's a bit late now, do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> let's try it again. Uh, this is a song about getting dumped. Thanks, Auckland. I feel like I fished for it, but I'll take it anyway. No, it's fine. Uh, basically, a few years ago, what happened is that I was seeing somebody and it just, it just didn't work out. It's just one of these things. It just didn't work out and I didn't really understand why, you know. Um, and, and I was sort of obsessing about it loads, trying to work out what happened. And I was kind of thinking about it loads with my friends. And I was sort of talking about it loads with my friends. And I was kind of analysing it with my friends. And, and, I, and then I realised after a few weeks of this that my friends just didn't find this as fascinating as I did. Um, but uh, I'm very lucky, I've, uh, I've got two little nieces. And, uh, and around about the time that this was going on, I was, uh, they were very into the, the film Frozen, you know, the Disney movie Frozen. Give me a shout if you've seen Frozen. Of course. Um, I mean, it's a feminist text, you know. Um, and, uh, and so around about the time I was trying to get over this person, I was watching a lot of Frozen with my nieces and, and nestled within the script of Frozen, I found the wisdom that I needed to move on. <laughs> so I wrote this song about it, and it's called Princess Elsa Blues. And I guess it's... Last night in the pub, I realised I was being tolerated, not enjoyed I saw it there reflected in friends' eyes I've become the kind of person I avoid Well, I woke up feeling rough and wondering when My needle got stuck on a groove called you and as I reached for Alka-Seltzer, the wisdom of Elsa came to me And now I know what I must do Because it, living without you, I've gotten pretty good Just need to stop talking about you Like my friends all wish I would And I don't understand what happened But I guess I'll never know I don't need to go to a palace made of snow I just need to let it go Epiphanies can come from anywhere From the sunrise all the verses of Shakespeare But it wasn't Sylvia Plath or Nietzsche That turned out to be my teacher It was Disney had the words I had to hear Because uh, living without you I've gotten pretty good Just need to stop talking about you Like my friends all wish I would And I don't understand what happened But I guess I'll never know I don't need to go to a palace made of snow I just need to let it go let it go, can't hold it back anymore Let it go, let it go, turn away and slam the door And all those times I just wouldn't be told Well now I've finally broke out this chokehold And all the times, all the times you were cold Never bothered me anyway Living without you, I've gotten pretty 
good Just need to stop talking about you Like my friends all wish I would And I don't understand what happened But I guess I'll never know I don't need to go To a palace made of snow I just need to let it go I just need to let it go I just need to let it go Thank you very much. Grace Petrie, everybody! Um, Auckland, you've been a truly amazing audience. I do feel very, very happy tonight. You know, it's easy when you're on tour for each show to feel similar. And I feel really moved tonight. I feel really, like, I just thought you were such an amazing guest. And I felt really moved by a poet. And it's just been a wonderful night. And you've just been so on board right from the beginning in a way that has been truly wonderful. Um, and I just want to say, my birth mother's in the audience tonight, so um, thank you for inventing me. Um, uh, without you, there is no me, and I'm made of you, so thank you so much for that. That was really nice of you. And uh, also, my sister Emma is in tonight, and she's a wonderful feminist, and she's an educator. And so I just want to say a big shout-out. Is anyone else in that I'm related to? Um, oh, uh, I, look, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'll come back out after the last bit, which is just going to happen now, and I'll stand at the front there, and you can bring your book there, and I'll come out and, and, and do that. I don't think I'm allowed to do a big foyer thing anymore because of COVID at the moment. Oh, come on. Yeah, absolutely. It's not even uh, today. <laughs> it's, I think... <laughs> Thank you very much, all dead. <laughs> if anyone has a spontaneous present for Grace, please come and leave it down the front of the stage. Just take, I mean, you might not have brought anything she wouldn't have known, but, you know, take off an item of clothing or something. We're really making too much of the fact that it's my birthday tomorrow. <laughs> we couldn't possibly make too okay. much of that, Grace. So. Yeah. No, no, don't, you don't need to give that to Grace. She's got a copy. I've got her book. <laughs> She's, she hasn't read the four copies I've already given her. So, you know. Um, uh, what was that? That's the perfect present. She's got a what DVD? A Top Twins DVD. I don't know what that is. If you want to come and bring that down as an offering, then she'd love that. I don't know what it is. Oh, but the top... Okay, the top... The, I mean, you know, but the top twins are icons. They're fucking feminist the icons New of Zealand. New Zealand. Yodeling, yodeling twins who, who travel around New Zealand towing a caravan with tractors and have these amazing series of characters that they do. And men and women, the Cairns, the Mother. It's a thing that, as I say it out loud, makes no sense no. to explain. No, that's very much... I'm but they it's are, not, it's, oh, you, you're going to fucking love it, Grace. Okay, a DVD is going to be brought to you and down on the stage, and you're going to love it. We'll watch it tomorrow as a birthday treat. Um, can I just have one last round of applause for our incredible guests? <laughs> May Chen. Na, at final. Thank you, Auckland. Good night. We love you. 
have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Cal Wilson, and our very special guest, Mai Chen. Music was by Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and the producer was Tom Slinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Michael Hayes, Bone Presents, and everyone at the Bruce Mason Center. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Christchurch to Auckland, I was reading a very important feminist book called... Hello. The patriarchy set up this microphone. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Um, I was reading a very important new feminist book called Hotbed. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.